will you take it all back? The question lingered in the air like humidity in Maryland in July. It just kind of stuck there. It wasn't going to go anywhere. The interrogator with clenched fists waited for a response. This Lutheran epidemic needed to be quarantined for good. Was it really worth losing life over? Was it really worth making this stand? Was that question lingered? It no longer was left unanswered. Will you take back what you said? I refuse. I will stand. And maybe if you're a Lutheran historian, maybe you're thinking of the Diet of Arms 500 years ago, 1521, when Martin Luther stood before princes and priests. When they asked him to take back everything he'd ever written, he said the most famous three-word phrase of the Reformation, here I stand. But the scene sketched before us today happened two years later. Two Christians, Hendrik Vos, Jacob von Eschen, they made a stand that not even Luther got to make. So these two young men, they were studying to be priests, and they got a hold of Luther's books, and for the first time, they went into the Bible, they saw God's grace, they saw his compassion for them, and they couldn't contain their joy. They stood on the foundation of Christ crucified for all, and they had to let everybody know this amazing truth. The gospel was on the tip of their tongues no matter where they went. Their joy was discovered, especially by those who hated them for it. After they made their stand, they were led to a fire ready to be lit. And as the flames erupted around them, they sang, We praise you, O God, we acclaim you as Lord, a song that silenced those cackling flames. And Martin Luther heard about these first two martyrs of the Reformation. Through tear-filled eyes, he wrote a hymn, and one of the lines went like this. He said, Still, still, though dead, they speak, and trumpet-tongued the one enduring name. Hendrik and Johann took their stand among the saints who gave everything in service to their king. Where do you stand? If you're like me, I look at these stories of heroic Christians and they're simultaneously inspiring and intimidating. Inspiring in that these Christians literally stared into the cold, heartless face of death and laughed through flames by faith. But intimidating, when I look within myself and I find so much fear that if God would call me to make a similar stand, could I do it? Would I stand my ground? Where do you stand? See, for the disciples in our gospel today, this whole idea of taking a stand like this was the furthest thing from their mind. They were too busy temple-gazing to even think about this. So let's set the scene here. So this is the middle of Holy Week. This is Passover time. Pilgrims have packed Jerusalem. The air of celebration is everywhere. And the disciples and Jesus are walking through the temple complex, looking at these magnificent buildings. But then Jesus breaks into that scene And he sparks a conversation that none of the disciples wanted to discuss. Jesus, staring into the cold reality of Good Friday that was coming just a few days away, he reveals the reality for those who will follow after his cross. He says this, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Jesus' imposters are going to come? 
and people are actually going to believe it? How can this happen? You know, disciples, their minds are just popping with questions one after the next. But Jesus is just getting warmed up. Look what he says next. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Is that all, Jesus? Not even close. You have earthquakes, you have famines, natural disasters, the forces of politics and nature colliding, and this is just the beginning of the end. And I read something like that, and doesn't it feel like Jesus is speaking directly to where we are today? And just think of the chaos we've kind of grown used to lately. You have the constant wars in the Middle East, you have the rumors of wars in East Asia, you have so-called Christian leaders who are hiding God's grace and preaching karma-like sermons where if you love God enough, then God will fill in the gaps. You think of all the natural disasters we've seen, whether it's Ellicott City close to home with flooding, whether it's all over the world with tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. Think of the deep divides in our own country where issues like COVID and sexuality and things have just driven wedges between us that may never, ever be mended. No longer is it about discussing and deliberating. Now it's about demeaning and humiliating, proving your side to be more right than the other. Context of this vexed and distorted world. But it gets deeper than that. Because not only is our environment going to change, our own personal being is going to change too. I mean, look how Jesus describes what lies ahead of people like you and me who want to follow him. He says, you will be handed over to local councils and flogged in synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. So where do you stand? Are you ready to face this kind of adversity? Will you, able, will you be able to stand your ground when you're confronted for your faith? How can we do this? Now how... Can God expect us in every moment of life to be willing to make this stand? It's hard enough, at least it's for me sometimes. When people ask me about what my weekend plans how plans are, it's hard sometimes to include church in our reply, right? It's difficult enough when <laughs> we know how important Jesus is to us, and yet when it comes to talking to our family and friends about it, we get nervous about it. We don't know what to say. So with all that going on, how can God expect us to be ready at every given second to be willing to sacrifice all when making even the tiniest of sacrifices make us shake and concede our identity in Him? You know, you and I, we all, we love the, the idea of outreach, right? You know, bringing people who haven't heard about Jesus into his loving arms, and yet, I think we fall into this trap of imagining a world, a perfect environment for where we could do outreach. We think about ideas that worked 50 years ago when it was a societal benefit to be a Christian. Ideas that simply wouldn't work today. And maybe we try to disassociate ourselves from the reality that we're surrounded by. But look at the environment that Jesus talks about here. The gospel must be preached in that chaos, we can't expect that to change. How can we move forward? How can we stand? 
And Jesus, he says it like it is here. We are going to face things that we'd rather not endure. We're going to be confronted by people who are going to try to distort the truth of God's word. We're going to have to quite possibly experience shaming and separation and cyberbullying and lies because of the stand that we have behind the cross. All these things are right before us. And what are we, how are we going to get through this? How can we expect to stand when so much is working against us? Because the thing is, you and I can't hide who we are. We can't try to seek acceptance from a world that we were never meant for. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this stand? How can we take up that baton that has been passed from our Christian ancestors from Abel to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Stephen to Johann and Hendrik to Nigerian martyrs today? See, the devil and our sin-stained heart, they love to force us into this deep introspection where we look within and all we find is that fear, that timidity, that hesitancy to be a light that stands out in this world of darkness. We feel like we're not adequate to the task. We feel like we're not worthy of this calling. We feel like failures for the cause of Christ. We'd rather stand as far away as possible from Jesus. We would rather stand in the shadows, all the while ashamed of our witness weakness. That's where we get it all wrong. See, it's, it's not up to you and me to stand the way that we need to stand, the place that Jesus wants us to stand. No, our God himself is going to carry us through all of that. When you feel guilty about being ashamed almost that you go to church or at least hesitant to talk about it, or you feel so horrible that you don't tell your family and your friends and your coworkers just how important Jesus is to you, remember who Jesus is. Remember how valuable you are to him. Jesus values you so much that he left his home so he could pave the way for you to be there too. He values you so much that without you being a part of his family, he knew it wouldn't be complete, so he had to do whatever it took to welcome you with open arms into a family that lasts forever. He considers you to be so valuable that he won forgiveness for you and didn't just win it for you, but he gives you all these ways of showing that love to you. Forgiveness for all the times you've been afraid and all the times you've been embarrassed of him. He's never ever embarrassed of you. He loves you dearly. That's why we get to walk into church every Sunday and see this baptismal font and remember that incredible moment where we became children of God. Something you can think about when you take a shower in the morning and the water hits your face for the first time. That water can remind you that Jesus has washed all your sins away, that you have a place with him that can never go down the drain. He gives us the Lord's Supper, which we're going to have later this morning. An incredible way of smelling and tasting and touching God's forgiveness for you. And of course, he's given you the Bible. Where he could have just said one time, I love you, but instead he says it in thousands of different ways and tons of different assurances. You never have any doubts. See, you don't have to be worried about making this stand on your own because it's not up to you. 
No, Jesus has given you the life he's given you for one reason. He's given you this one-way ticket into the deepest room of his heart. You will be able to make a stand and stand your ground and stand up for your faith because his grace will empower you to do just that. His strong voice gentles our scared beyond belief hearts. Look at what he says. Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You don't have to strategize ahead of time what you're going to say when your back is up against the wall for your faith. You don't have to worry about making Jesus look bad. You don't have to document every logical reason why it's important to raise your kids in the name of Jesus so you can prove Facebook, or now meta, I guess, wrong. (laughs) You don't have to be concerned that you're not going to come through because you will. You will because of the one who stood tall against all the forces of evil and not only lived to tell the tale, but lived so you could have that victorious life with him. That's what made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego special. That's what made Stephen special. That's what made Martin Luther special. That's what makes you special. We celebrate Reformation Day not just to celebrate Luther's life, but to reflect and recognize and remember that God will always preserve his grace. His grace will always prevail. Jesus has preserved his gospel since the beginning of time. His church will stand. The word remains. And maybe the most incredible part of all this is that the Holy Spirit wants to use your voice to carry on the legacy of Jesus. So where do you stand? when you are faced with having to talk with your child who's drifted from church and from the faith, and you're wondering how to say the right words, you don't have to be worried about that anymore. Because of the child of God you are, you know the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to say exactly what needs to be said and to have this most loving conversation of all. When you're talking with your friends and you realize that the way you look at life through the lens of Jesus is so far different than them, You don't have to worry about if they leave you because you know God is going to send Christian brothers and sisters from all walks of life to pick you back up. When you risk upsetting a professor or losing your job, you don't hesitate to stand up for the truth because you stand on the foundation of Jesus and the promises of the Bible that are always there for you. When Satan comes at you with those self-abasing accusations, you can stand firm Because Jesus stands beside you. His word is always with you. He is the foundation. He is the rock that can never be moved, can never be broken. So let's join together. Let's stand together. Come hell or high water, whatever we face, we know the rock our God is. We know the foundation on which we stand. Don't worry about what to speak. Don't worry if you have what it takes. Jesus does. Stand on him and him alone and he will strengthen you in ways you can't even imagine. So where do you stand? Well, let's stand with our brothers and sisters, of the cross bearers of the past who went sometimes all the way to death to preserve this gospel. Let's stand with them. Let's stand arm in arm, locked with our brothers and sisters in Christ here and throughout the world. We stand on the church's one foundation, 
We send worry packing. We stand on Jesus. Our mighty fortress, our rock that will never, ever be shaken. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.